I recently became aware of the Washington Post newsletter, Bold School, and its approach to life after 50. I'll introduce you to the two authors. We thought getting older would be easier. The hardest days of raising kids and building a career were over, and we could just start relaxing. Well, consider our expectations defied. We are Vicki, 64, and Suzette, 55, visual journalists here at The Post. Vicki is married and has four grown children and lives in a house in suburban Virginia. Suzette is widowed, has two adult children, and lives in a small apartment in Washington, D.C., Every day, we find ourselves talking about the speed bumps that trip us up as we get older and the paths we found over them. Those conversations and questions and the tried-and-true tips we exchanged are the basis for our 12-week newsletter series, Bold School. Questions like, what can I learn from my younger boss and colleagues? And what can they learn from me? How do I manage my grief? How do I find joy? And why in the world am I getting so many scammy emails? Bold School aims to nourish, educate, inform, and stimulate you, all while helping you save time and money. Younger generations seem to navigate this rapidly changing world so deftly. By collecting and sharing knowledge and wisdom, we can too. In Bold School, we share our experiences of life after 50 and offer advice for approaching this chapter with curiosity and enthusiasm. Today I'll be reading two of their articles on grief, Old School Lesson 10, Learning How to Accept the Unacceptable from March 15th, and Bold School Readers Way In. It gave me the permission I needed to begin experiencing joy again, both written by Suzette. In addition, from Next Avenue, March 30th, Losing Four Friends and a Loved One During the Pandemic by Art Siegel and from the New York State Office of Mental Health, 10 Tips for Helping Others Grieve. Beginning with Bold School Lesson 10, Learning How to Accept the Unacceptable. I knew Bruce was going to die. My husband had an inoperable brain mass diagnosed nine months earlier. He was treated throughout the year with unimaginable amounts of chemotherapy and radiation. Hospice prepared my family for his death. I was lucky, perhaps, compared to the people who find their loved ones have died from an accident, suicide, or in military combat. I was prepared, but no one can really prepare you for death and mourning and grief, It can hit you all at once or take years to absorb. You can't hurry love, as the song goes. You can't hurry grief, either, Sigrid Nunez writes in her novel, The Friend. There are constant reminders when someone you love dies, especially a partner. At night, I used to stay awake for hours, waiting to fall asleep. I would close my eyes, take a deep breath, and say a short prayer. I'd reach over to the other side of the bed and put my hand where Bruce was supposed to be and say goodnight to him. I love you, I'd whisper, and then wait for a reply that never came. Elizabeth Kubler-Ross is famous for outlining the five stages of grief, denial, anger, bargaining, depression, and acceptance and wrote that these are a part of the framework that makes up our learning to live without the one we lost. 
I'm not sure I agree with these stages because I can't remember going through all of them. I was never angry and don't remember bargaining much. The depression was overwhelming, but remedied with white and orange pills I still take daily. Talking to friends and family helps too. I still have trouble with the finality of acceptance. It took me a while to sell Bruce's camera equipment and donate or get rid of the clothing. I still have several Dallas Cowboys jerseys. I hate circling the word widow on medical forms. Six years later, am I single or still widowed? Sometimes when people ask if I'm married, I say yes. It's just too complicated. I found solace in following the Hot Young Widows group on Instagram a few years ago. Nora McInerney, who you might know from the Lily's video series, Nora Knows What to Say, or her podcast, Terrible, Thanks for Asking, and Mo Richardson started the group after their young husbands died. McInerney's father also died that year, and she miscarried her second child. They wanted a place where they could be their weird, wonderful, widowed selves without judgment. I had found my people. I contacted McInerney on Bruce's sixth death anniversary when I was feeling sad, and she responded right away. I am five years out from my losses, and I think the more we can remind people that grief is a chronic condition and not just a singular event, the better we will all be because eventually grief comes for all of us, McInerney said. The loneliness of grief is so real. The world around us moves on, and we do not. Some days I still feel like that. I get stuck on a memory, or hear a song, or linger too long on a photo of Bruce. It's a feeling that brings a smile and a tear. McInerney's advice for handling some of this? Sometimes looking good helps us feel better. When McInerney took care of herself, she felt better. And shower, she said. It's the last thing you want to do when you're grieving and the thing that can actually make you feel better. We move forward, but this experience and this pain are a part of us forever. I have more good days now than bad, but when I find myself in the thick of it, I pick a person I'm close to and I share that with them. I call, I email, I text, and I say, this is what I am feeling today. No feeling is final. It's a line from a poem by Rainer Maria Rilke, and McInerney says she lives by it. It reminds me of the temporary nature of everything. David Kessler, who co-authored on Grief and Grieving with Kubler-Ross, recently introduced a sixth stage of grief, meaning. Many people look for closure after a loss, he said. It's finding meaning beyond the stages of grief that most of us are familiar with that can transform grief into a more peaceful and hopeful experience. Kessler is not suggesting that we find meaning in how people die, but rather why they lived. There may just not be any meaning in that, but isn't there meaning from your time with them? Wasn't their life meaningful? What part of them lives in you? What can you take into the future? Or, if they did die tragically, how can you change the world so other people don't die that way? He said in an interview with Jeff Cresno from the Commune podcast. 
My colleague and Bold School editor Jim Webster looks for meaning by writing about his close friend Tammy. When she died in 1994, Jim appointed himself guardian of her memory, with the intention of keeping her memory alive. In one post, he wrote that Tammy was the person who believed in him long before he believed in himself. When he wrote on Facebook or to friends, he often signed off on notes about her with this: "She's here as long as we remember her." Jim's quote is similar to something often attributed to the artist Bansky. They say you die twice: one time when you stop breathing, and a second time a bit later on. When somebody says your name for the last time, when Bruce died in 2013, it was too soon for me to know the meaning that Kessler talks about. They say your parents teach you manners, how to grow up, how to behave. I said in his eulogy, Bruce showed me how to work and play, how to make my own smiles, how to grab adventure when it was in front of me. Now also by Suzette. It gave me the permission I needed to begin experiencing joy again. This week, I wrote about the grief I still experience since my husband died in 2013. I received some wonderful responses from readers who have also mourned the loss of a loved one. I moved to Washington D.C. and started working for the Post after Bruce died. New co-workers and friends never knew him. But it's important to me to still talk about him. It's a way to keep him in my life and heart as I move forward. I appreciate it when friends bring up my husband's name. He is still a part of their lives as well as mine. Writes Betty, eighty-five, who was married for fifty-six years. Other things that help: walks on the beach, poetry, and accepting help. When my mom died after a lengthy battle with lung cancer, I threw myself into our family history and old photos. Going through her stuff, she had traveled extensively through Europe, Latin America, and Australia. I saw photos and slides over the years that I had never seen before, and wished that I could have asked her about. Says Darcy, sixty. Suddenly, she was alive and vibrant again in these pictures. Changing her hairstyle over time, but with the same sparkling smile and spirit throughout. I had the photos printed into a memory book that I shared with family. I think it helped me not only grieve but process the meaning of her life as well. And what about those friends and family who don't know what to say to someone who is grieving? David Kessler, who co-authored on grief and grieving with Elizabeth Kubler-Ross, suggests these things, and I agree. I am so sorry for your loss. I wish I had the right words. Just know that I care, and I don't know how you feel, but I am here to help you in any way that I can. And some of the worst things to say: He or she is in a better place. There is a reason for everything. I hate that one. And it's been a few years. You should move on with your life. That is the most hurtful of all, because there is not a set time for grief. More from readers. When my mother passed away in January 2019, I learned so much about myself and others. What I found most comforting were those who would share a memory of my mother, and others who simply hugged me. 
A simple I'm sorry was always appreciated, says Maria, 64. What I did not appreciate were those who felt the need to share their experiences. One neighbor went on for over 20 minutes about the death of her amazing mother. Maggie, 67, lost her husband of 42 years in 2018. The worst words for me are when someone asks, how are you really doing? It breaks me up every time, she writes. Barbara, 68, writes, my brother died from suicide almost 30 years ago. Shortly after we returned from the funeral, a new friend came to the door and handed my husband a spiral ham. She didn't come into the house, but I heard her say, I don't know what to say, so I brought you a ham. That simple act of kindness from someone I didn't know it all that well at the time, we are now extremely close, stood in stark contrast to the many people, even good friends and co-workers, who avoided me for weeks. Simply saying, I don't know what to say, is enough. I'm sorry, is enough. Even, here's a ham, is enough. Permission to experience joy again. My mom died suddenly 31 years ago. I was 27 and a new mom myself. I grieved a good long time. I awoke in the middle of the night about 10 years after her death and went into another room in the house so as not to wake anyone. I started to talk to her, as I often had done, and I said to her, I can't move forward on my own. Through streams of tears and desperation, I said to her, you have to let me go, Mom. You have to be the one because I can't do it. I believe that moment was a turning point for me. It gave me the permission I needed to begin experiencing joy again. That from Lori, aged 59. Gardening has helped me with the loss of my mother to cancer almost 11 years ago. The first time I sat down in the dirt following her death, a beautiful monarch butterfly fluttered in front of me at eye level. I knew it was a message from my mother. Now I garden specifically for the butterflies, planting nectar and host plants to attract them. All spring and summer, I am surrounded by beauty that comforts me and keeps me going. From Karen, age 58. Finding peace around you. While going through my husband's clothes to decide what was good for donating, I came across his favorite sport jacket and burst into tears. I held the jacket close to me and wrapped the arms around me. I hugged it tightly and somehow felt his closeness. I told him how much I loved and missed him and asked him why he had to leave. I don't know how long I held him, but when I hung the jacket back in the closet, I had a peaceful feeling that I hadn't felt before. We were together for 58 years, and I still miss him terribly. But after that experience, it became a little easier to deal with my loss. That from Donna, aged 88. It can be easy to feel totally alone in grief, no matter how many other people are directly affected by the loss. As odd as it sounds, what helped me enormously was the realization that I wasn't the only person in the history of the world who had lost a beloved brother. I was somehow comforted by that. From Lee, age 69. Long walks on the beach have been the most helpful for me. 
As I look out over the endless waves, I think about the waves of grief that continue to break over me even eight years after my husband's death. Sometimes the waves are so big that it feels like I'll never make it back up for a breath of air. Other times the ocean is relatively smooth and glassy, and I can't help but smile and be thankful for the 20 amazing years that we shared before tragedy struck. That from Stephanie, aged 49. The Healing Powers of Poetry I found a book of poems that put into words my grief when my mother passed away. We were not always on the same page. My Soul Feels Lean is a book of poems about loss and restoration by Joyce Rupp. I now give the poems to people who have lost a loved one. From Kathy, 71. Ever since my mom died in May 2018, I have kept the memorial card from her funeral service in my purse. It has become tattered, but has a lovely smiling photo of her on the front and beautiful poem inside. Since I carry my purse everywhere I go, I feel like she is always with me. It's a simple remembrance that provides comfort, not sadness. From Carol, 62. Turn to Support Systems Going to meetings of the Compassionate Friends got us through the first years after the death of our 27-year-old daughter in a pedestrian accident. It is not for everyone, but those experiencing the loss of a child should consider this group. My husband's birthday is one day after the day of her death, and we think of his birthday as the start of our new year, which helps us move forward. That from Carla, 69. A book by Barbara Roberts called Death Without Denial, Grief Without Apology, A Guide for Facing Death and Loss, provided me with what I needed to let grief take it where it would when my husband of 25 years died at 54. It was so helpful that I wrote to the author, who not only responded, but six months later responded again with more support. I have passed the book on numerous times. It helped me understand that grief is highly individual and there is no right or wrong way to do it. And that is not my responsibility to make my loss easier for others. From Carol, age 67. My son died 25 years ago. 24 years ago, a woman with compassionate friends, a group for parents who have lost children, told me that her son had died 25 years ago, and it still hurts sometimes. You would think that would make it worse, but instead, it freed me from expecting to find closure or recover, says Maggie, 58. Help others through their grief. Ten years ago, my good friend Chris died a horrific death. He was living with type 1 diabetes and had previously asked me to check on his mother if he predeceased her. So I have continued to honor that wish by making sure holidays and both his and her birthdays are recognized. I still get lovely, heartfelt thank you notes from a woman who is now my friend, as well as her son's, when she received my flowers, candy, or card. That from Edward, 55. My 28-year-old daughter committed suicide 20 years ago. I was already in counseling, and my counselor let me spend about three months crying in her office every week, and then I was not allowed to do it anymore. She and I started a grief group at our church. 
I saw that there were people who were grieving the loss of a child of any age and hadn't moved on, even after 10 years, and that they had become alcoholics and or drug addicts. I knew I didn't want that to happen to me, so I worked at recovering, and after two years, I was in a much, much better place. Says Francis, 71. To this day, I continue with an amazing support group. I found that once I learned to help and support others through their own grief, I could smile again. A part of my heart was lost when my children died, but giving back has also helped me to accept my life. I am grateful for the opportunity to support others. As crazy as it seems, losing my children has made me a better person. From Sharon 57 Keeping the memories alive. My husband had an interesting way with words, so my children and I made a long list of sayings that we used to keep him close to us. Examples? Don't get your bowels in an uproar. And about pop musicians and writers? He must be good. I've never heard of him. It helps when our children say, as they often do, wouldn't dad love this? That from Betty, aged 85. I went through recipes a few weeks ago looking for those my mother had shared with me. Making those recipes brings me close to my mother again, from Sandra, 62. My mother died at age 90 after 12 years with dementia, during which time I was her advocate. She had the most beautiful and peaceful death I could ever imagine. Even with that, I was unprepared for the shock of grief that followed. Five weeks after she died, I woke up at 4 a.m., went to the computer, and wrote five pages, what I learned from Joan. The content just flowed, as if she was talking. I sent it to her five grandchildren. They loved it, too. That from Polly, age 65. Now from Next Avenue contributor Art Siegel. Losing four friends and loved ones during the pandemic. Reeling from the losses, the writer takes steps to manage his grief. Editors note this was part of the Telling Our Stories Reflections on the Pandemic, inviting readers to share their experiences of the past year and selected 12 essays for publication on Next Avenue. In the past three months, I lost a childhood friend, a longtime Seattle friend, and a first cousin in my father's family. Two of them died on the same day at almost the same time, December 18, 2020, at 11 a.m., although they lived in different states and they had never met. Learning about each one was a terrible shock. The 5 a.m. text message from Georgia's sister, I'm sorry, I have bad news. And the email from my cousin's partner in Miami Beach, I tried to reach you by phone. Maya passed away yesterday. The pain engulfed me. Then came an email from the sister of a longtime friend, who had died in March 2018, at age 60, informing me that another friend had died on January 8th. Of these four important people in my life, three died of complications related to COVID-19, the other from a long-term illness. I felt like the world was caving in and was terrified. Who would be next? Maybe me. Would I survive this day? I was reeling. In this terrible year of COVID-19, 
Many thousands of people lost loved ones, friends, and colleagues. The fortunate ones who avoided illness, like my partner and I, were often reminded to be thankful for being alive. Yet the emotional scars are not visible. I owed it to myself to accept the reality that I could not change what happened. The world still held wonderful people to love and cherish. My cousin Maya, who died on December 18th, talked with me for two and a half hours last October in a wonderful conversation covering her decades as a Mormon, her father, a famous Colombian photographer, her childhood in Chile, and her life with her partner Joe in Miami Beach. We caught up after decades out of touch, and she told me stories about our aunts and uncles, which included my deceased father, of course. I realized that my mourning needed an end date, and that indulging in pain every day would negatively affect my life, but not help me recover, and those I had lost wouldn't want that. I needed to pull myself together and live my life as well as possible, treasuring loved ones still with me. I owed it to myself to accept the reality that I could not change what happened. The world still had wonderful people to love and cherish. I decided to stop suffering and to keep Maya, George, Joe, and Joy in my heart forever. One of the tools I turned to was my employer's free employee assistance program, which provides up to three sessions with a professional counselor. They had helped me years ago when I visited a therapist in my neighborhood, and I knew they would again. I will meet my new therapist in the coming weeks. And to finish this off, the Office of Mental Health from New York State offers tips for helping others grieve. Immediately acknowledge the loss. Reach out to say, I am so sorry for your loss. Don't be nervous. It doesn't matter if you know the bereaved or the deceased well. Just reach out. Do not minimize the loss or try to take away the pain. Avoid statements like, he or she is in a better place or I know how you feel. Know that grief is not linear. People often cycle between the different stages of grieving. Focus on the person grieving. Don't compare your experiences. Allow the person to navigate their own grief. Don't judge how the bereaved is reacting. Everyone grieves differently. There's nothing wrong with how they are feeling or coping. Don't rush the process. Everyone grieves at a different pace. There's no timeline to move on or get over it. Allow for crying and silences. Expressing emotions is healthy. Resist the urge to fill the silence with words. The helping hand. Instead of saying, let me know how I can help, Tell them what you'll do. For example, I'll mow your lawn on Tuesday. People who are grieving often forget to take care of themselves, have groceries delivered, or send a gift basket with items to help them take care of their basic needs. There has been an extraordinary amount of grieving during this pandemic year, some as a result of COVID deaths as well as other losses and grieving that is part of the process from days before the pandemic. I appreciated the personal offerings by those who shared how they experienced their grief and the reminders of how one can help others grieve. Thanks for listening, and until next week, I'm Kathy Van Squake.